Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I almost can't believe that it is the middle of July already, and if you are a senior uh, and you're not feeling a little bit of, panic is the wrong word, but a little bit of, hmm, I probably should get going on my applications, that is a good feeling, lean into it, start getting working on your applications, it is not too soon, and in fact, in office hours today, we're going to be talking about getting started on your common application. We're also going to talk about financial aid and community college. It's something that I'm not sure lots of people are aware uh, that there is financial aid available for community college, and we're going to talk about what those options look like. But before we get to those uh, pieces, today we're going to start out with a segment about social media and applications. And we've certainly talked about social media on the show before, um, but I'm really excited to welcome Alan Katzman, who's the founder and CEO of Social Assurity. And that his company's goal is um, social media education for high school students, college students, and young professionals. And he has some really interesting thoughts about using LinkedIn as part of your application strategy. And uh, he's going to tell us all about it. Hi, Alan. Hi, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. And thanks so much for being here. I think you have some really interesting stuff to share with our listeners. So happy to have you on the show. And thank you for having me. So here's a big question. I I think we often think about the ways in which social media can detract from an application, uh, improper posts, putting up, you know, photos that probably wouldn't be good for anybody to be seeing, let alone uh, an admissions officer. But what was really intriguing to me about our conversation the other day was just that there are some ways in which social media could potentially add to an application. So Let's start with that. What do you see as as how it can add? Well, I think, you know, the the premise that we have to start with is colleges are looking at social media, but they're not looking at social media to find the gotcha, right? As you're saying, the, 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 the problematic posts or photos. They're looking to learn more about the applicant. And if that's the case, then I think it's an opportunity for students who are applying to college to satiate that by, by delivering through their social media information about them that they would want the colleges to see. Um, you know, there's a lot of, even in the last couple of weeks, we've seen headlines that, you know, saying GPA, there's been an incredible inflation, right, in GPA mm-hmm. scores. Uh, University of Chicago recently has gone test optional. Uh, which is is probably the most elite university to date mm-hmm. to have made that decision, and then even last week, in context of um, Harvard, you mm-hmm. know, it's becoming clear that Harvard is looking at the per- personality traits of mm-hmm. their applicants. So if you put all this together and you look at the college application, there's a lot of things that colleges are looking at, especially as they're going more holistic, right? That you can't mm-hmm. really deliver to a school on the application. So that's why social media comes into play where, you know, you could, you can supplement your application with, um, it could be community service activities or, um, 
content that kind of uh, uh, sets forth your character, right? Your right. commitment, your resiliency. These are all things that social media is very powerful at delivering. And when used properly, it can really supplement an application, right? By right. going a little bit more in depth about the student and about the points they want to get across. Right. And I do want to I do want to clarify just a couple of things here. Um, one is that in the application, there is a lot of opportunity and just more for our listeners. There is definitely a lot of opportunity to get across your accomplishments. And that's still the most important place to do that. So if um, if what we end up talking about feels like you have a lot more that you are hoping to convey to the colleges than you're currently able to, this could be a great path. If you're feeling like I don't you know. This may not apply to everybody, is I guess what I'm saying, but I do think it's a very intriguing idea, particularly for students who have done some really interesting things that maybe because they're only writing one essay, uh, they're not able to necessarily get across always the breadth and depth of, depth of what they're doing. So, But that brings me actually to my next question, which is, you had specified when we talked about that LinkedIn, in your opinion, was sort of the best way to do this. And I'm, I would love to learn more about why you see LinkedIn as the platform of choice. Okay. Uh, it, it LinkedIn, it, it, LinkedIn is not just for older people who are looking for jobs. It, mm-hmm. It's really a, um, it's a marketplace and the platform itself uh, is, is very flexible and it, it really has the foundation for students to build, um, I, I call it an infra- information-rich digital mm-hmm. portfolio, um, you know, to, to highlight, and, and, and not, not as a, um, you know, uh, a brag sheet, but one or two activities or interests, mm-hmm. c- causes, concerns that they're really interested in, to take a very deep approach on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, it, it, it's, it's, it, you're able to build um, out a skills-based kind of representation. You can bring in media um, or other links and really help people understand who you are as a person. And again, I agree with you in the, in the assessment that this may not be for everybody. Mm-hmm. But if, if there are things you're very proud of that you want to get across, it really is a great platform. And one of the, the best things about LinkedIn is it's the only social media platform where you can get the feedback when somebody looks at your profile. So you yes. can get an idea, right, mm-hmm. of who's parking on it and who's seeing it. The other thing that we really love about LinkedIn, and a lot of people really aren't aware of it, it has tremendous research resources when it comes mm-hmm. to college selection and doing college research. And real quickly, if you think about it, for every member on LinkedIn, and there's over 500 million worldwide, LinkedIn knows where you went to college, what you majored in, where you're working, and what you do. And it aggregates that data. So if you're going to research a college and maybe you're interested in a certain major, you can see where those majors are working and what, uh, where those people who majored in that uh, field, where they're mm-hmm. working and what they're doing. And it really can give you good feedback to maybe this college is a really good fit for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. for what I'm studying versus maybe a brand name college, but that particular major may not be as strong. So it it gives students a real great opportunity to learn and to, and to get an idea through the college feeds and all colleges are active 
I believe, on, on, on LinkedIn for more research. You can get an idea of their culture and what's going on in the campus. You can also see, you know, what other students are doing. So it, is, it, it works both ways, right? Mm-hmm. You can put out information, but also collect information. One thing I wanted to highlight that you mentioned that I think is super important for our listeners to key in on is this idea that you can see who has looked at your LinkedIn page. So in order, though, for that to happen, you need to be visible, right? And therefore, who is looking at your page is going to be at least somewhat visible. And probably, it may not tell you who looked, but it may at least tell you someone from uh, Harvard University, just to throw out the name that came to mind, immediately looked at your application. So that also will tell you that maybe not everyone's going to look at the link you share. However, um, you might be able to see which colleges did. And I, that's a pretty interesting uh, thing to yes. have. Yeah. And, 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 and the fact that you used Harvard is, is a perfect example because um, there, there was a story written you know, in, in the New York Times a couple of years ago about this. And uh, a, student, a student had indicated that they, they had um, embedded their LinkedIn URL Mm-hmm. on their common app on, a supp- on the supplement for Harvard. And the question was, and a lot of schools will ask this on the supplement, uh, is there anything that you would like us to know about you that you haven't already shared? And this student's answer was, I think I've told you everything, but if you want to learn more about me and my background, mm-hmm. please check out my LinkedIn profile and embedded the URL right on the application. And a few weeks later, that student did receive a notification via LinkedIn that someone, as you said, from Harvard College looked mm-hmm. at their profile. Um, and so when this made the news, actually, um, a, the Harvard Crimson newspaper uh, interviewed Harvard's dean of admissions and said, Dude, does Harvard look at social media? And the dean, in, in, in so many words, said yes. He said, if a student invites us or to take a look, where mm-hmm. the way he said it includes a link of any kind, and we think it will help their case for admission. And these are his words. We will certainly take a look. So the right. whole idea of if for a lot of schools and a lot of students, you have to understand that, you know, you, you hear all these surveys, do colleges look, don't they look, will they look? The best way to take control of that is to invite them to look. And it doesn't just have to be LinkedIn. It could be if you're more creative or artistic or visual in nature. You can build a portfolio of your work. It could be your, your photography, your design, you know, fill in the blank on an Instagram, a separate mm-hmm. one from what you do with your friends and say, here's a portfolio of my work. And again, there's, it seems more likely than not. Okay. And it's not a, it's not, nothing's ever guaranteed, but if you invite them to look, chances are it will be a hot link on their screen. They'll take a look and you can get a lot more information in in the hands of people who will be making decisions about you. And what I love about what you're saying is you're taking control and you're inviting them to look at something that you have curated for them, right? Like you said, this is a separate Instagram account from potentially the one that you might have with friends. I know most teenagers, I don't think Facebook is a particularly good platform for this. And I also know that most teenagers, including those in my house, do not use Facebook. Um, and, and, but they, at the, on the flip side, they also are not on LinkedIn. And so that's why I thought that was particularly 
intriguing idea. So building on that, what are some specific things that you recommend in terms of utilizing LinkedIn? Um, and I think you already shared, you know, you want to provide that hot link to directly to your profile. What are some other things on the application itself, but what are some things about what using LinkedIn itself? Uh, well, for, for students, again, this is it, it, there's no pressure on feeling that on a LinkedIn account you have to put in your work experience. If you've had a job and, and you feel it, 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 you've learned something about yourself as a result of that, put it in. But the, mm-hmm. the, the, the foundation or the view you should take of a LinkedIn profile is what have you done Right, and in high school, and this could be in school or or family service or summer activities. What have you done that's preparing you for the next step? Right. So, mm-hmm. so kind of tie it between what you've done, what your interests are, and then what you aspire to be. And I think you know taking that is it gives you permission to get a little bit more reflective about yourself. And again, about your soft skill, uh, we're really big on soft skills and personal attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes a long way. If you can show resiliency, uh, commitment, leadership, appreciation of teamwork, um, these, are, these are the kind of factors that, that people may take notice of, right? Which don't naturally, as you said before, and I agree with, that may not get a fair play in the, within the four corners of the college application. But again, right. you can mention it and then say for more information, right? Check this out. So right. it's, it's, it's just a, we see it as a real good supplement and even a good worksheet to get prepared uh, for your college application. Because as you build your LinkedIn profile, you may realize that there's an activity that you really love doing, right? And, mm-hmm. and you, you, it, it could rise to the top and say, you know, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about what I learned about myself or the skills I developed and refined as a result of this activity. So it's a, right. it's a, good, it's a good way to collect your ideas and maybe brainstorm about what you want to highlight going forward. Right. And, and actually, that brings up a good point, which is there's no reason that you need to wait to create your LinkedIn profile until your senior year. It can be an ongoing thing, although one thing that started stood out for me about our previous conversation is the idea that what you put on social media never disappears. So you want to make sure that if you're going to start building your LinkedIn profile, that you're not putting things on there that you're not going to be comfortable having on there three years from now. Um, And I would guess that anything that seems appropriate for that platform is likely to be appropriate in two years as it is today. But um, right. it, it can be a good way to plan, and you don't necessarily have to wait until you're ready to submit applications to put that together. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and going back to a point I previously made, too, is to familiar, you can familiarize yourself with various colleges and be right. following them and, and seeing what they're, what, what they're about. And again, checking the alumni resources, maybe reaching out to people who um, uh, went to a school you want to go to, who majored in a field of study that you're interested in, and actually reach out to them on mm-hmm. LinkedIn and ask them questions, almost like finding a mentor. Um, you know, there's so much reward that can come with this and getting yourself familiar with this platform because it is something you're going to be taking with you, 
not only for right. college admissions and maybe scholarship review, but, you know, each step of your life as you're going through college and maybe getting internships or thinking about grad schools and ultimately getting work, this is going to become an important part of your package going forward. Right. Absolutely. And um, you are going to need it when it's time to start applying for jobs when you're graduating. But to your point, it's going to come earlier in the process as well with things like internships. And I also love the suggestion you just had. So again, I want to highlight it for our listeners of following your colleges of interest. Um, At the very least, you can find out more about what's in the news about those colleges and what kind of exciting things are going on. And it is possible that colleges may be paying attention to who is following them on LinkedIn. I have, I don't know this for sure, but um, I do know that as yield becomes more and more difficult to predict, you know, sort of figuring out who you ad- admit who's actually going to come, uh, something like this could end up being uh, a strategy at some point for the colleges. And so there's certainly no downside to going and following some different colleges that I can think of. Um, Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about community college and financial aid. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Very excited that you're joining us today. I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Jean Mahan, who has joined me a number of times on the show in the past. She's a former financial aid officer at Tufts and also at Quinn Sigamund Community College. And I'll be honest with you, Jean, before I met you, before you joined College Coach, I'm not sure I knew that there was financial aid at Community College. So... Um, Today's topic seems to be a good one to cover because maybe I'm not alone in that. Yeah, Um, great. Well, good to be here. Absolutely. So uh, I think my first question for you is, um, what did you do when you worked in the aid office uh, at Quinn Sigamund? Oh, my gosh. There was just, I did so many things there. My colleagues and I... Uh, we're busy all the time. Uh, you know, we had about, at the time, maybe 10, 11,000 students, so it was constant, you know, traffic. And we reviewed applications for financial aid. We actually awarded the aid. Um, we assisted with FAFSA completion, so we helped people who weren't really sure how to fill it out. We had students in our office, and people could come in and fill those out. Um, we tried to help students understand the implications of borrowing student loans. Not a lot of our students found it necessary to do that, but, you know, we still wanted them to understand. Um, there was a freshman experience program, so students that were attending college for the first time, it was kind of an introduction to college, and here's where you get help with tutoring, and, and we would also come in and, and do a presentation on financial aid, what they needed to do to get it, that kind of thing. Um, I actually worked with a lot of social workers who were coordinating educational benefits for kids that were aging out of the foster care system. Mm. Um, so that was a really interesting part of my job. Um, not every state has educational benefits for kids in the system, but Massachusetts does. So I was very fortunate to work with them and, and help them and their students kind of navigate the process. Um, yeah, so I was a important. French major in college. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was a French major in college, so sometimes we'd have students coming from French-speaking countries, and I'd have to kind of brush up my rusty French to work with them. (laughs) Most of them were coming to take English classes. Um, So, you know, that was kind of a fun experience to be able to speak to them in their own language. Absolutely. Um, And, yeah, we had in our summer period, we'd have about 2,500 files a week that we'd have to review. So it was crazy busy. Wow, that is crazy busy. And it also sounds like it was probably a lot more diverse group of people who you were talking to than maybe you might have encountered when you were at Tufts, where you were the veterinary school too. So that Mm -hmm. meant it was even less diverse, but still, um, it sounds sounds crazy, but interesting at the end. It was, it was. There was no such thing as a typical day in that office. Like every day brought something new and exciting and crazy sometimes. So I bet, I bet it did. Well, what are some of the issues that you saw that were unique to the community college environment? Mm -hmm. Sure. So community colleges tend to have open admissions, which means that, you know, you're going to submit an application, but you're not going to be asked to, to provide recommendations or test scores. You will have to provide a copy of your high school transcript to show that you have a high school diploma or GED. Um, and so we'd find students that would still be registering for classes right up until 
like the day before classes started because sometimes, you know, they had graduated from high school and didn't really have a plan. And then, you know, a week before school starts, they think, okay, well, I have to do something, so I'm going to go to school. Um, some people, their plans fell apart for their original choice. You know, maybe they had planned to go to a four-year school and the financing just wasn't there. Um, and at the last minute, they would end up, you know, coming to community college. So it was a lot of helping people complete FAFSAs at the last minute so that we could help them at least through that process. And for many of them, once they completed that FAFSA, we'd, we'd give them a book voucher so they could get their books at the bookstore and not be hampered by, you know, having to start classes but not having the funds to be able to get the books that they needed. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of the students, not all, but a good portion of the students that come to a community college are low income. Um, and so, you know, they don't always have an extra few hundred dollars available for books and supplies and that kind of thing. So that was one of the things that we did that, of course, I had never done at Tufts before, um, but it was a great way for them, you know, to be able to stay on track. Right, right. You don't want to start the school year already behind because you can't mm-hmm. afford to buy the books that are needed and um, until right. your financial aid comes in, and then now you already might be a week, two weeks behind, so that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. No, and not at all. In terms of the aid that is available for community college students, is you know, is there a lot of it available, and where does it come from? Sure. So, I can only speak for Massachusetts because that's where I worked, um, but our office awarded about $9 million in financial aid. And that came from a lot of different sources. Um, Obviously, the federal government through the Pell Grant program, there was a supplemental educational opportunity grant. Um, The Commonwealth of Massachusetts has quite a bit of of aid available in the form of scholarships and grants. They have something called the Mass Grant Program, and that could cover a, a good chunk of what a student, you know, pays at a community college. I mean, average tuition for a, you know, for a student that's full-time, which is about 30 credits a year, would be about $11,000 all in. That's the cost of attendance. So that's including things like books and their transportation, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also had a a foundation, um, and they actually had quite a bit of scholarship um, money available, and they raised that either from alumni or sometimes people would uh, set up scholarships in memory of somebody, like maybe a favorite professor, a family member that had passed away, something like that. So we did have quite a bit of, of, of aid coming in that we were able to award, and, um, and some of them were re- really specific to a certain field. Like we did have a pre-engineering program. We had a lot of health programs, dental assisting, dental hygiene, nursing, so there were, you know, specific scholarships for those human resources. And we even had some for non-traditional students, so those students that don't quite meet the 18 to 22 category. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of, of students like that. So, Got it. Um, yeah. And Massachusetts also provides tuition waivers to senior citizens. So, so mass residents over 60 can go to community college for no tuition. I mean, they still have to pay fees, but the tuition is waived. Veterans... Um, people that are in the armed services, National Guard, um, as I mentioned, students who were in the foster care system or, or students who were adopted through the State Department of Social Services um, all received tuition waivers. Got it. Um, so, I mean, there's money out there is, I think, the bottom line, and you mm-hmm. may have 
extra funds available because you belong to one of those groups. Um, but if you are concerned about going to college, period, because you feel the expensive is the expense is going to be prohibitive, it sounds like you should make sure you check out what's available before you make that call. Um, any, mm-hmm. any tips that you have for making the process itself easier? You mentioned earlier we talked about giving book vouchers because students weren't going to have their aid and time to start mm-hmm. their uh, when classes were starting. I'm guessing there are some things you can do so that you don't find yourself in that position where you have to have a book voucher or you're at a school where they don't do that and now you're kind of in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So I always encourage students to add their local community college to their FAFSA. It doesn't cost anything. It's a free application for federal student aid, and you can (laughs) put up to 10 schools on there at a time. So why not add your local community college? Because you don't know what circumstances might get in the way of your original plans. You know, a lot of times, as I mentioned, I saw students who plan to enroll at a four-year university and at the last minute maybe, you know, had an epiphany that they really didn't want to borrow $30,000 a year in loans. Um, And so they would enroll at the community college, but they hadn't submitted their FAFSA in time to meet our priority deadline or we weren't listed as a school on there. And, um, and in Massachusetts, the state deadline for aid is May 1st. The Quinsigamon deadline was April 1st. So we always told students, try to meet that April 1st deadline. You'll be considered not only for our institutional aid, but mm-hmm. also for any state aid that you might be eligible for. Um, and, you know, if you miss the deadline, it didn't mean you weren't going to get anything. But you know what? The money is not there in August that was there in, say, March, April, and May. Um, and so I always, you know, the early bird catches the worm. So even if you're not sure, just put that on there. And that way you'll have met the deadline. So, you know, you, you, you will be in the running for aid if you qualify. Um, I used to feel really bad because I'd see students come in with high need and would, you know, maybe end up having to borrow a, a small student loan to cover. You know, they might have gotten a mass grant and they might have also gotten a partial Pell, but they could have gotten some other aid too had they met the deadlines. Right. Um, yeah. Students need to really understand, you know, and I and I encountered this a lot at Tufts. I think people think when they hit the submit button on the FAFSA that the school gets that information like the next day, and and it's just not true. It takes you know about three to five days for the data to go through the federal processing system, and then the college gets the results. So, you know, but again, colleges aren't sitting there waiting for your FAFSA to come in either. They're downloading them every few days. But, you know, if you submit it on Monday night, that may not be downloaded even in that same week. So, you know, really just to be thinking ahead at, and looking at all the options and kind of every alternative that might come your way. So. Right. It's a good point um, because you mentioned earlier, in case our listeners weren't totally dialed into that, that you were looking at 2,500 files a week. That is mm-hmm. outrageous. That's a lot. That's a lot. Just by contrast, yeah. when I was reading applications, now granted there was a lot more that I was reviewing, uh, reading in a whole application, but when I was reading applications at Penn, I read an average of 1,300 a year, and that was the, right. over the course of about five months, so uh, 2,500 in a week. That's a lot. So you want to get in not, there. And that's not, you know, that's for eight different, eight counselors are reviewing 2,500, which works out to a little over 300 each a week. So. And it's, you know, it's pretty relentless from, I would say, late April right until the end of September. 
right. um, when it started to get a little bit more manageable. So, you know, you always want to be at the front of the line when they're handing out money and not on the back, back of yes. the line so that you're Pretty- in a better position if you qualify. Yes, absolutely. And you might be in a better position the following year, but that doesn't change the fact that you maybe didn't get money that you could have had that first year. And you might now have some debt that you wouldn't have had had you been a little bit more on top of things. So excellent advice, which I don't think will surprise anyone when we say that that advice holds no matter where you are applying to college, uh, you want to be in uh early. So you want to send it mm-hmm. as close to when it opens as possible rather than waiting until the last possible minute. Not a great idea. Right. And the good of, news um, is when you get yep. it in early, it's done and you don't have to worry about it anymore. That's <laughs> so that's exactly another right. upside to it. I, I will confess to being something of a procrastinator. So anytime I get something in early, it's such a relief because I always have these moments of, oh my God, that deadline is coming up. And then, uh, oh wait, I actually already did it. And it, it, it <laughs> literally makes my life so much better when I do that. So I'm trying to do that more and more with uh, with limited success. I'm having some success. One, um, one thing I did want to ask about is uh, as with, Federal aid, I mean, as with aid that you would get at a more traditional four-year program, you you don't just get the aid and, and then no one checks, right? So there are some stipulations in terms of holding on to that aid um, in a given year or in, in future years. So what can you tell us about, about what's required in order to keep the aid? Right. So there's something called satisfactory academic progress, and students have to be making that in order to continue participating in the student um, aid programs. So we had to determine every semester we would get a list of everybody that was below a certain GPA, and we would have to go through and make sure that 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 was all accurate. So, for example, a student who had attempted between 1 and 15 credits, which is somebody who is probably a first-semester student, whether that's you know, freshman or someone just taking classes, um, if they earned less than a 1.5 GPA, they were suspended from the student um, financial aid program. If they Mm. were, had attempted 16 or more credits and earned a 2.0 or less, they were suspended from financial aid eligibility. So, uh, you know, if if you have ever found yourself or, you know, in that situation, I encourage people to file an appeal with the financial aid office because many times things happen in life. You know, um, there could have been an illness, a death in the family, a job loss, something that got in the way of you being successful in school. And so we would also, we would notify the students they were being suspended, but also explain the appeal process and what they needed to do. It's usually sending in a letter, explaining what happened, what you've done to make sure that it's not going to happen again. So, you know, if you didn't have a computer and you couldn't do your online homework, well, now you have a computer, so you won't be in that position again. Um, And most of the time, we granted those appeals. So what would happen is you would get a semester where you'd be on probation, and as long as you, you know, were you got the GPA that was required, you were back into the program. Um, sometimes what happens when you're suspended, and I, and I used to find that students that had been suspended and had appealed, they had usually appealed at least once, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you are, if your appeal is not granted, then what you have to do is usually have to take a certain number of credits on your own dime. And if you're successful, then you can start um, getting aid again. 
So, you know, you, you shouldn't, I, I always tell students, no matter whether they're at a community college or a four-year student school, as soon as you start feeling like you're in over your head or experiencing difficulty with any of your classes, get help. It's almost always free on campus. Um, first start with your professor, then, you know, they often can refer you to the tutoring center, but that's really where you need to be. You're not dumb, you know, maybe you're just having trouble with this particular class. Get help so you don't find yourself in this position. Right, absolutely. And before we, we wrap up here, or as we wrap up, any final thoughts uh, that you might have just to, to leave our listeners with when it comes to uh, financial aid and community college? Sure. So, um, you know, I've been away from the community college for five years now, but I still have wonderful colleagues who work at Quincy, and I reached out to them to just ask what recommendations they had uh, mm-hmm. for students that are applying for financial aid. And they were, they, you know, unanimously said, be aware of deadlines, meet those deadlines, you know, um, make sure you're on top of it. Respond to the communications that you get from the financial aid office. They do like you, but they're usually not sending you love notes. They're usually mm-hmm. asking you to, to provide them with something, you know, a copy of your tax transcript, some verification documents. So when you get those letters, respond to those immediately. Um, we often have students who would wait. And then we would, you know, cancel their aid because we hadn't heard from them for three months. And then they would say, oh, well, I didn't know you needed that. So be checking your your college email. That's how most financial aid offices are communicating with you. And be patient. You know, in this age of technology, I think a lot of students think, well, everything's instantaneous. You know, the FAFSA is instantaneous and, you know, I should be able to get a response immediately. But that's not how it works. Um, when, when you have, say, between 10 and 13,000 students, there's a lot of people that you're working with. And sometimes it's not as simple as just looking at your file. It, it does require some more documentation. So be patient. Know that you're not, um, you, you haven't fallen into a black hole, but you just may be farther down the line. So, um, you know, our financial aid office used to put updates. We are working this week on eight applications received by this date. So right. at least that cut down on some of, you know, the, the calls or questions about, you know, when is my aid going to be reviewed? Sure. So I think that's really just be on top of things. You're a college student now. Um, be responsible for your stuff. That's probably yes. the best Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And and duly noted. So, um, and that goes for pretty much every school, but uh, especially important here. I appreciate your time today. uh, And we're going to be back in just a minute to talk about the common application. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start 
start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. We are back, and my colleague, Emily Toffelmeyer, who is a former admissions officer at the University of Southern California and also a former college counselor at three different public and private high schools, which I think is actually pretty useful for our uh, our conversation today. She's here to talk to us about the common application. Hi, Emily. Hey, Beth. How are you doing? I'm good, and I'm happy to have you here um, as we kind of talk about getting started with the Common App. So one thing that I did want to mention to our listeners is that once the new version of the Common App comes out, we will do uh, at least one segment and definitely a few blog posts about any changes that we see and any sort of tips for uh, things to pay attention to this year. But what Emily and I are going to be talking about today is really getting started, and so that leads me right to my first question, which is, how the heck do you go about creating a Common App? And, you know, maybe you might also want to mention what the Common App is, because we might have some people who don't know. Sure. So, yeah, that's a good point. So, the Common Application is what the name implies. It's this application that's used commonly by hundreds of colleges and universities around the country, which is great, because this might mean if you're applying to 10 different universities, you're only using one application. So it saves you a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot fewer logins and passwords to remember. Um, And to get started, very easy. You just go to commonapp.org. And when you go there now, the landing page, the first thing you're going to see right in the middle of the website is a button that says get started. And they actually walk you through the process. They say, okay, here's how you create your account and here's what you'll need. And then next you want to do a little research on colleges, start adding colleges to your list or your dashboard, provides you some resources and FAQs. So don't click apply now. That's just going to take you directly to a login for the application. Just take advantage of the get started part and walk yourself through the steps so you're not too overwhelmed. Answer some of the basic questions, um, and you can see if all the schools you want to apply to happen to be on the list. And to get started, I think you just need, you know, email, your address, your name, very basic information. Right. And 
tip because I don't know about you, but I certainly have students who come to me and say, yeah, so I created a common app like you suggested. And then I don't remember what my login and password are. (laughs) So tip would be uh, copy that down somewhere. Um, Maybe you want to have a whole sheet where you're going to include your logins and passwords for any of the stuff you're going to be doing related to your college applications. And this would be an important one to keep, although they do have a help desk. So you can inquire if you lose it just like you can anywhere else. But you know, when you're ready to sit down and work on that application, you don't want to suddenly realize that you have to wait now to get a link to change your password so you can actually get in there. So don't do it. Um, well, here's a here's another big question that I have for you, which is that the actual new version of the Common App is going to be live on August 1st. But what does that mean about when a student can get started? Do students need to wait until August 1st to get started? No. So parents, if you're listening, don't let your student use um, that as an excuse to put off their application <laughs> until August 1st. Uh, it is still, it's still available. It's live. So technically, the rollover is going to happen July 27th through 31st. So this means that the existing version of the common application, you can put info in there. You can fill out your name and educational history and your parents' information. And then you're going to find July 27th through 31st. That's going to be a blackout period for the website. So you won't be able to do anything in the app during those days. And then August 1st, that rollover will be done. It's going to go live. The stuff you entered should be saved in there. But I know that makes people nervous. So what I usually suggest is put in the really easy nuts and bolts stuff into your application now. Um, Just kind of get comfortable with the account, set up the basics. And then your essay, your activity list, the bigger, meatier stuff in the application, just work on that outside of the website, whether it's a Word document, a Google Doc, whatever your preference, just work on that outside because that's good advice anyway, right? Like on any website, you don't really want to be writing a big piece of material because you never know when your internet's going to go out. So mm-hmm. once it's August 1st, though, you can plug all of that stuff in. So still plenty you can do before the rollover happens. Yes. And um, if you are writing your applica- you're writing your essays in the Common App, you are doing it wrong. <laughs> never, 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 never should you be drafting an essay directly into the application. Um, I cannot stress this enough. You work on your essays in whatever word processing program that you use. You edit, you read, you edit, you edit some more. Maybe you edit some more. And when you have it done the way that you want, you've done a word count, you know it fits in there, you've done spell check, so and you've then read it again because we all know spell check is not perfect. Uh, that is when you cut and paste your essay into the application. You do not draft an essay in the application. Literally, if you take nothing else away from this show today in its entirety, please take that piece away. You should not be drafting in the application. Um, um, and I actually have a tip related to that, one that I don't think students always see. It's just, uh, I don't know, maybe the Common App will start making this an easier to notice option, but you can do a preview of your application. You can see an entire PDF of the whole application. You can print that out. I know a lot of people feel like they're better better editors on paper than on a screen. So once mm-hmm. everything's pasted in there, you can print it out and go through with the pen, make sure everything's right, make sure you don't have weird margins or spacing happening, no typos, and then go back into your application and fix any of those mistakes you saw. So that's like a little, a little hidden gem on the Common Application website. 
And I would then even build further on that. So if you are really motivated and you really are going to get, you might do more than what Emily was suggesting. Um, Maybe you are going to put in all of your activities and you're going to get that in there just because you're just that person. You're eager to get started and you've got a separate version of it, but you want to get it into the application. What you might do before, what's the date again when when it's going to shut down to be rolled over? July 27th through 31st. Okay, so prior to July 27th, not on July 27th, but prior to that, what I would suggest if you've got, really I would suggest it regardless of what you've entered, if it's just the basics or if it's more than that, print it out. And that way you can make sure you could do a printout as soon as you open it up after the rollover has occurred and you can check one against the other and you can make sure that nothing was messed up in the rollover. So again, does it, do you have to do that? No, you might be better off just kind of waiting until after the rollover happens. But if you're super eager, um, that would be one little check that you could do by printing out that PDF ahead of time. And then you'd have something to compare it to once the rollover has happened. Um, since we have some time, what are, what are some tips that maybe we could go through that you have for some of these key sections, starting with test score reporting, which is an optional part of the application. Any thoughts here on whether or not you want to include your test scores there or not include them? Sure. So I think you should include them if you're a student who, when you're filling out the application, you're done with testing. Like You took the SAT or ACT. You've got your AP exam scores. You took some SAT subjects. Like If you're just done with everything, you're happy with your scores, I say why not just self-report because there's a good chance that some of the schools you're applying to don't actually require official test score reports. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of schools out there that don't require it. So why not save yourself some money, put the scores in your application and be done with it. Um, but I know that's not a lot of students. I know some students are still going to take the SAT or ACT again in the spring or late summer or early fall. So if that's you, what you might want to do is leave it blank for now. Just send your official score reports later, and generally schools do not have a problem with you leaving the self-reporting blank as long as they get something later. Um, so even if it's a school that doesn't require an official school report, like Amherst, for example, let's say you didn't like your scores when you were filling out the app, you want to wait later to send the t- scores in, you don't have to mm-hmm. send the officials. What you can do is actually just send an email. You can use the scores that are on your transcript. You can have your school counselor send your school reports in over email. So there's lots of ways to get them in. If you're not comfortable putting a score down now, but if you're done with your testing, I say just go ahead and self-report. Right. Um, And the only other thing I would say is if you're going to be applying to some test optional schools, you can actually create two different versions of the Common App. You could create one for your test optional schools and one for the schools that you are sending your test scores to. So you could have a version that includes test scores and then a version that doesn't include or you could just elect not to put any test scores in and have them officially sent. But, um, you know, that would be maybe one other reason why you wouldn't include the test scores. But I think for the most part, I would agree that if you know where you stand and you've, you're done with testing, um, that there isn't really a reason why you wouldn't include it on there. And, and particularly, I do want to highlight because um, a couple of years ago, I actually... Um, had a student who didn't self-report the test scores. We had had a conversation and there were a couple of reasons why he didn't, which I was very much on board with. But what I forgot about was the fact that um, AP scores, you really do generally self-report those. The only time you send an official score report for APs 
is after you've been accepted, decided to attend a particular college, and then you are hoping to get some credit for those scores. So um, I would say you would always want to self-report your AP scores if you have them and you want the colleges to know about those. Um, They're not generally required anywhere, but if you've done really well, you've got fours and fives, you're going to want to include those, and that's the place that you want to do them. Um, one other, another section, sometimes students are, end up going to more than one high school and, um, that is something that the common apple ask about. Um, what, what is any advice that you have for that whole section on a change in school? Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty basic. I, I found sometimes that USC students kind of overthought this question mm-hmm. and thought they had to put a lot more detail than necessary because many times a change in school is just because you moved. Um, or yep. because uh, your parents decided that private school was too expensive after all. So that's fine. You can just say, yeah, I changed school districts and was required to change schools, or my parents opted to move me from private to public school. Um, there doesn't really need to be a lengthy answer. Now, sometimes, though, there is a more complicated question. Maybe a school isn't a good fit for you. Maybe there were personal reasons that you left. So I think whatever you're comfortable with divulging to the admission reader, that's up to you. Right. Absolutely. Um, But it doesn't have to be an essay. Uh, A couple of lines can often (laughs) suffice there. Um, And I think we have a little bit of time. uh, Activities. Any particular advice um, uh, when you when students sit down to fill out that section uh, of the application? Yeah, I bet USCS over and over again, students really blow a chance to make themselves shine on the activity section. Uh, Students who seem to have spent a lot of time on essays who had otherwise great applications, they would just sort of gloss over this section and not give me a lot of detail, not give me an understanding of their role in different clubs. And that was a really a lost opportunity. So spend as much time on the activity section as you might on an essay. Uh, Take full advantage of the very limited 150 characters you have to describe your involvement. And um, think of it as like writing a professional resume. So this is something I think where parents can help. A lot of teenagers don't know how to use active, impactful, results-based language uh, that resumes usually call for. And they don't understand, too, that you don't have to use complete sentences when you're limited Mm -hmm. to 150 characters. So parents, if you're kind of pros in putting resumes together or read a lot of resumes in your job, this is a spot where you can probably help your student craft a, a better explanation of what they're involved in. Uh, and the only caveat I would add there is that please do not put in a lot of adult business language. We shouldn't be talking about it was a win-win for everyone, out-of-the-box thinking, <laughs> stuff like that. It still needs to sound like your teenager. It cannot sound like you, but I do think that's that's some really great advice. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Beth. Have a great day. Yep. Uh, So again, thanks to Emily and to all my guests. Uh, Next week, Sally is going to be here hosting. She's going to be talking about how you think about making your course choices for the first semester of college. Um, We're also going to be covering how financial aid works at the Ivies. uh, And we're going to be talking about subject tests. What are they? Who needs them? uh, And when can you take them? That kind of stuff. 
We routinely do uh, segments on the show where we answer your questions. So if you have them, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a really great blog, blog.getintocollege.com. And what you're going to start to see as things like the new version of the Common App come out is a lot of blogs focused around tips and um, insights into some changes that we're seeing and some thoughts about how to approach different sections. So kind of building on some of the stuff that Emily and I were talking about today. Uh, you also want to check out our archives. We have a ton. We've been on for longer than three years. We do an episode every week. So you can only imagine the treasure trove of stuff uh, that is in the archive. So check it out at Voice America. You can also sign up and get free downloads of the show on iTunes. We would love to get more ratings. More ratings mean more people will find us. More people who find us uh, means that our show is doing what we wanted to, which is reaching a broader audience. Uh, so do that for us. Uh, and don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.